You're listening to The Morning Muster, where we get sailors together to listen to the weather report and, well, to talk about the most important topics of the day. So grab a cup of hot chai. Or a coffee. I'm Teresa Carey. And I'm Ben Carey. This podcast is produced by Morse Alpha. We offer rigorous coastal and offshore sail training expeditions. Check out morsealpha.com. This episode of The Morning Muster is sponsored by Beta Marine. For over 20 years, Beta Marine has been providing smooth, reliable marine diesels. These are 100% mechanical engines built on the Kubota block with widely available parts and a five-year warranty. Beta Marine USA has a new online parts store plus sail drives, alternators, custom mounts, and feathering props. Yeah, we've got a Beta 60 in Rocinante, and we chose Beta for the simplicity and because every time we called their office, we got a hold of Lisa or Stan, and they're both so helpful and patient. Find them at betamarinenc.com. Well, I'm just going to start out by I wanted to tell a story about why I love the VHF, because <laughs> I'm a little bit obsessed with the VHF. Actually, I love talking on the VHF. But I remember a time years ago when Ben and I were sailing from the Bahamas to North Carolina, and we each had our own boat at the time. We were both sailing solo, and we took on crew for this trip. And Ben had this man Banning with him. And so Banning would be standing watch on Ben's boat, and I would be standing watch on on my boat. And um, we would, in the middle of the night, we would check in via the VHF. And I just love how the communication is very different from well from now now that we have like cell phones and texting and satellite phones and emails and all this other thing other ways to communicate but on the vhf it's a public conversation anybody can listen to it you really want to be very brief but you want to say a lot and then when you're all done you just say over and then you just wait in silence for their reply without any kind of facial expression from them or any indication even if they're there and you know that on the other end, they're crafting that perfect, brief, but say a lot reply to come back with. And so that's kind of what I love about VHF is the thoughtfulness of it, um, a well-crafted response. And so today I'm looking forward to talking with in depth about the VHF with tugboat captain Ben Mole and communications chief at the U.S. Coast Guard sector, Northern New England, Megan Manship. Uh, so Ben, could you start first and introduce yourself and just tell a little bit about your background? And I guess for sake of clarity, when you're all done, just, just say over. <laughs> yeah, Roger that. Uh, <laughs> my name's Benjamin Wall. I'm a tugboat captain working primarily in the Northeast, uh, Maine maritime graduate. And, uh, I grew up on the water. I was actually born in Puerto Rico and lived on a cruising boat till I was, uh, about four years old. And I've, uh, been talking on the VHF since about then, so I've got a little bit of experience with them. Over. Hey, Megan, how about you? Hi, I'm a um, operations specialist chief in the Coast Guard. Uh, my experience with VHF is, you know, only Coast Guard related, and I've been in the in the Coast Guard coming up on 14 years, but that's it's pretty much what I've done. So awesome. Over. Cool. <laughs> I think that uh, sometimes the VHF can be intimidating, you know, because everybody's listening, like especially the first time you talk on the VHF. And, well, Ben, you said your first time was when you were four years old, but I, I wonder if you guys can think back to an, an early time or the first time 
was it was it scary? Were you nervous? Did you write out a script? What was the first time like? I think it's scary. Like you said, like you don't know who you're talking to. So, and you, it, with a Coast Guard, you want to be professional. So I know this happens a lot with people that have just come out of A school or, you know, just graduated from boot camp and they're going to a station talking on a radio. You're talking to the Mariners and you're supposed to be a professional. It's super scary because they want you to know what you're doing. How about you, Ben? Uh, probably one of my first times, uh, I guess professionally on the radio would be as a as a cadet or a, a deckhand or a mate out on a barge uh you know ta- talking the captain into a dock and you want to be very very brief because if they need to ask you a question that you know the guy driving the boat needs all the airtime, so you're giving your distances ahead and your distances out as quick as you can and you know concisely and you also know there's probably other boats using the same working channel and listening so you don't want to be the one that sounds like an idiot uh and you also don't want to get chastised by the captain or the the mate whoever's driving over the radio uh so it is it is intimidating mm-hmm. so you're on the tugboat you're on the same boat or on the barge as the as the captain that you're communicating with yeah yeah generally when you're bringing a barge or or something you're towing into a dock there's a deckhand, or sometimes the mate, depending on the situation, uh, from the tugboat that's moving it out on the bow or, or, or whichever end the, the captain or mate wants them on to give distances and, and to be their eyes. Because there's a lot of times when you're, you're moving stuff where you, you might not be able to see one corner of it or you might not be able to see over it at all. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me a little bit more about how you all use the VHF on tugboats? Like, because I've just learned something new that you're communicating via the VHF on the same boat. Um, what other ways do you use the VHF? Uh, well, also because we generally have such small crews on tugboats, you know, anywhere from four to six or, or maybe eight guys, uh, and maybe only two guys on watch at a time: the person in the wheelhouse and a deckhand or an engineer. If they have to go out on the tow, you know, if we have it alongside or if we're pushing it, uh, or if they're just going out on deck to check on things, I always want them to have a radio. That's so they can communicate with me directly if there's an issue, or God forbid they go over the side, they've got something they can communicate with the boat with. Um, mm-hmm. And all, you know, generally we use it mostly for when we're when we're landing or sailing a barge or a tow, the the deckhand can communicate with the captain to let them know, you know, how many lines they've got left when they're down to the last line, uh, you know, when we're free and then distances, et cetera. Cool. Interesting. <laughs> um, I, Megan, I'd love to hear from you too about what the, um, what happens at the Coast Guard station with the radio watch. Like what are your shifts like? Um, what are the protocols? What, what goes on there? So there, um, you know, there's a lot of different platforms that we use VHF. We have the, um, the stations, and then at sectors, which is, they kind of oversee the stations and they are who listens to the VHF as well. We have what uh, the remote fix facilities along the coast and that's how we hear, like pick up all the VHF calls. And then we have stations up and down the coast, as you know. Mm-hmm. So the station has their own RFF. They listen to that RFF throughout the day. And then at sector, we listen to all of the RFF. So we have 
um, eight on the coast and five on Lake Champlain that we listen to constantly 24 hours a day for, you know, any, any, yeah. any type of call. And what's the, questions, what whatever. is the RF? Are you saying RFF? Yeah, it's a remote fixed facility. It's oh. like, a, it's just a tower yep. to pick up the, um, the radio calls. So what about, you know, I've heard about this. It seems kind of mysterious to me. I've heard about this radio watch. Is this something that you have to do? I used to. <laughs> um, What's that all about? <laughs> so the radio watch, um, there's the radio watch at station, and it's usually 12 hours um, or during the during the workday. Um, and then there's wow. the radio watch at sector, which is 24 hours a day. Um, so any sort of VHF call, we have, gosh, I don't know how many speakers we have in there, but there's just a wall of speakers. That just picks up everything on the. So the... you might be hearing multiple people at the same time through these di- through these different speakers. Oh yeah, yeah. You talk about being short and concise, and not everyone is like that. A lot of people like to play music or um, just talk to people on sixteen. <laughs> um, and once you when you hear it all at once, off you know through the whole coast and the five on Lake Champlain, it can get pretty loud in there for sure. They do, a, they do a really good job because if someone calls Mayday, they can hear it over all this and all the other chatter. And so you're listening to all these radio, and this is probably the echo that we hear when we can hear the Coast Guard, you know, announcing their announcements or things like that. I, he, I always hear like this background echo. It might be those extra VHFs that you're listening to, but you're listening to all these VHFs and then you're listening for something like a Mayday call or some sort of urgency that which then you and your team of people would respond to. Yep, that's it exactly. Obviously, we listen, we listen for other, you know, other indicators of distress, but mm-hmm. that's it. Our ears are turned, are tuned for the mayday. Right. Well, now, now I listen for maydays too because, well, I'm just listening on the radio, and sometimes I feel like it's not really a mayday. <laughs> it's um, just a oopsies, <laughs> you know, like it's not a big deal. And I, I want to know a little bit more about those maydays and what goes into it. How careful should we be to give a mayday or um, what do we need to prepare to say to the Coast Guard? What do you want to hear from recreational sailors when we do say mayday? Um, so if you, I mean, obviously, if you think you're in distress, say mayday. I've had people use the word mayday and, you know, they're just disabled Mm-hmm. You know, they're not in a, a life-threatening situation. When I was in L.A., I had a sailing vessel that had popped a plank in the bottom of their boat. So they were taking on water pretty fast. Mm-hmm. And this guy got on the radio, and he was like, hey, Coast Guard, taking on a little bit of water, you know? Um, super <laughs> calm. I was like, whoa, <laughs> this guy. It was incredible. Um, hooked his <laughs> pump up, and... We, we got a boat on scene and they hooked up a pump too and we towed the vessel in. But, you know, that was a pretty, he must have been taking, I can't remember how fast the water was coming in, but he was taking on water pretty fast. So any, anytime you think that if you can only think of the word mayday, say mayday. If you say Coast Guard, we're going to answer that too. If you only have time for one call, say mayday. Uh, the other cool thing about the remote fixed facilities, if you hold down, we have a direction finding tool on our system. So 
So if you say mayday, we're going to get the direction or a GPS position, depending on how long that call was. And how long does that call have to be for you to be able to locate the boat? Pretty quick. Usually just the mayday, depending on it's again, it's all based on VHF. So depending on all the variables that can impact that, the longer the call, it's going to be more Mm -hmm. accurate. But if you just say mayday, we might just get a line of bearing off one RFF, which will give us a really good place to start Mm -hmm. with all of the systems that we have. So we, um, with more self-expeditions, we work with a lot of novice sailors and some that have had some experience too, but I find that we come across people sometimes who are very nervous to talk on the VHF and especially with the Mayday, nobody wants to say the wrong things (laughs) and uh, draw a lot of attention. And so we actually post a Mayday script by our VHF and a pon-pon script and um, so that all they have to do is fill in the blanks like it says this is Rosinante we are located at and then you fill in the blank or we have blank number of people aboard um, and this is our distress or something like that and um, we post the script right there and I wonder Ben for you especially what kinds of do you have do you on the tug have anything like that where you have a certain protocol a certain script or a certain way to approach with the with the VHF yeah a lot of commercial boats do have um because basically all of them, you've got the vessel particulars posted in the wheelhouse, uh, generally near a radio. You know, your your length and beam, uh, depth, air height. Um, mm-hmm. But quite a few boats I've been on have, you know, uh, distress call scripts somewhere near the radio. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the larger stuff I've worked on that have GMDSS suites have all that stuff in a, in a booklet by the, the GMDSS radio setup. Mm-hmm. So when there's a mayday, I guess this is a question for both of you from a different perspective, but when there is a distress call and you hear someone in distress and they're communicating with the Coast Guard about what's going on and you realize they're near you, what kind of assistance should we be thinking about offering? Or is it better to just stay away? Well, for me, I mean, when I when I hear a mayday, um, if I'm if we're underway and I'm, you know, I, I don't have my hands full. If we're just steaming, I'll, I'll put a, uh, a mark on the chart plotter, and then I write down whatever position they gave, and then I can just, I can with the electronic charting program we have, I can hit edit on that mark and change the, uh, the Latin long on it, so I can see precisely where they are from the position they gave in in real in relation to me. And if I'm towing a barge astern on the wire, there's generally not a lot of assistance I can give because I'm, uh, you know, mm-hmm. unless it's unless it's an extreme situation, you know, if I'm the only vessel nearby and they are, they are, you know, going in the water, then yeah, I'm gonna do everything I can. Um, but if we're, especially if we're light tug or if we're in an area, you know, uh, uh, an inland area where we might be pushing or have the barge alongside. I can get in close to people and we actually, we're, we're legally required to have a, a crash pump, you know, a dewatering pump on board anyway as, as a backup to our, our fixed uh, bilge and, and fire pump. So that, that's something I can pass to another vessel and that gets run monthly. So it's, it's always ready to go. You know, we've got life rings, we've got survival suits, we've got all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Megan, how about you? How, how should, especially how should recreational sailors offer assistance if they're nearby what should we do the best thing that you can do is one make sure you're comfortable offering assistance because if you're not comfortable operating your boat or don't think you can do so 
safely in a situation to help someone else, um, you could make the situation worse. And that's something that's up to you. The second thing is use that VHF and ask the Coast Guard. Ask them if they want you to go over. You know, we'll tell you if if there's too many vessels on scene, you know, it might having another one make it might make it a bit more dangerous. But we might not have gotten any response that you might be, so we might be looking for help. So use that VHF and just ask the Coast Guard if they want you to respond. Mm-hmm. So Ben, we've I've sailed through New York City Harbor a couple times, and the radio is just going nonstop. There's so much boat traffic there, uh, a lot of big commercial boats too, and a lot of small cruising boats. And so, what is it like working in New York City on the tugboat? It's got to be like the radio has to be crazy. Yeah, and I mean, I'm generally listening to three radios at once when we're in, underway in New York because you have 13, you know, the general ship to ship. And then when you're underway, when you're underway on a tugboat, as we call it, light boat with no tow, with no barge or whatnot, you're you're not required to check into vessel traffic services. Mm-hmm. But when you have a barge, you, you have to participate in vessel traffic, which for the upper bay... Um, kind of from the Brooklyn Bridge up to the ha- the Holland Tunnel vents in the Hudson River, and then through Kill Van Cull into Newark Bay and to the Arthur Kill Railroad Bridge is all Channel 14. Mm-hmm. Then south of the railroad bridge, uh, east of the Brooklyn Bridge is Channel 12. And that's vessel traffic is on those two channels. Yep. Can you tell me what explain to us what vessel traffic services is? It's a service that helps coordinate vessel movements in New York Harbor because it's such a busy harbor. Um, So you'll call on actually Channel 11 before you get underway to tell them where you are, uh, the makeup of your tow, whether your barge is light or loaded. Um, And for a ship, they, you know, you're just describing, you give the ship's dimensions um, and where it is, what type of ship it is. Mm Mm-hmm. And where you're going to be leaving from, where you're going to, and often, you know, because there's different ways to get places in the harbor, you'll let them know the route you're taking. Um, If you're going up the East River to go through Hellgate and out into the Sound, you'll often, when you check in on 12 at the Brooklyn Bridge, Mm -hmm. you'll let them know, uh, you know, an estimated time to Hellgate because there's a bit of a radio dead zone um, around the UN building. Hmm. yeah wow i didn't know that i mean that makes sense though right because it's is it because it's a big building or well i new york city i think part of it is you know because vhfs are so line of sight you know there's a lot of buildings in the way for people out Mm -hmm. out on the other side of the gate coming in the east river and i i also wouldn't be surprised if some of the communication stuff from the un maybe causes a little bit of the interference Mm -hmm. but uh so you might not be able to get a boat coming the other way on 13 who you're trying to coordinate you know who's going to go through hellgate first you know because so you generally don't meet another large commercial vessel in hellgate mm-hmm. um so vessel you know vessel traffic new york will help coordinate that because they have the rffs on either side and can communicate a lot more clearly and i've i had a chance to go to vessel traffic in bermuda and then also in new orleans and kind of see the behind the scenes there and they're they're tracking the boats too they've got you on a screen on a chart and they're tracking different boats to keep keep tabs on who's where until you leave yeah their yeah range. there's days there's days that can be very very helpful um 
And it's, it's funny that, you know, I'm, I've been dredging in Boston and in Rhode Island the last year. So I haven't been down in the harbor. But before that, I was in New York Harbor for about five years. And mm-hmm. you start to get a feel for the different watch standards uh, with vessel traffic. And there's some that are a lot more hands-on and try and involved. Mm-hmm. And there are others that are just, they give you the information. You know, if you call for an update on traffic, um, they just, they give you the facts and that's it. Mm-hmm. So it's, there is definitely a bit of a working relationship. And I'm sure they start to, you know, especially the boats that are just work in the harbor, they, they start to know the different uh, watch standards on the boats too, just by voice. So I have a question, Ben, you know, I've heard tugboats say, I'll see you on the one, Cap. And I, I love how VHF communication language has like evolved over time. There's throwbacks to way back when. And can you explain why cap, tug captains say, I'll see you on the one, Cap? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a colloquialism, really. Um, you know, it's referring to I'll see you on one whistle, uh, which, you know, from Nicole Riggs, one whistle is port to port. Mm-hmm. And it's it's the language of the sea kind of deal. Um, mm-hmm. Not a not a whole lot different than you know some of the stereotypical stuff you see in movies that like truckers say on the CB, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> except a little more a little more based in fact and less in folklore. <laughs> yeah, I'll remember. I remember um, when I really learned what one whistle meant, and uh, I was it was very early in my career, and I was exiting a harbor. And there was a ferry boat coming in, and he blasted his horn once, which, like you said, means we should pass port to port. And I went the wrong way, of course. And I passed on his starboard side. And I, and at the time, I thought it was the best way to go for me. And I kind of wish I had hindsight to kind of go back and, and redo that moment again. But um, but given my boat's limitations, that's what I chose to do. But he was very angry at me and came up on the radio very angry at me. <laughs> And uh, and that's when I, I was with a, a co-instructor with me. I was working for Outbound on these thirty-foot commercial boats. We had twelve pa- paying passengers. They're they're rowing boats, thirty-foot rowboats. And I he was so angry at me. And I put the radio down and I looked at my co-instructor like with wide eyes, like, "Oh my God, what do I do?" And she mouthed the, the words to me, "Sorry to inconvenience you, sir." And so I said, "Sorry to inconvenience you, sir." And that was it. And he softened, and we moved on. And that has been my go-to phrase <laughs> whenever I needed it for things like that. <laughs> yeah. No, it's I. You know, I honestly and and the coal rigs to a certain extent haven't caught up with, I guess the modern waterways, especially with, with recreational traffic, you know, they, mm-hmm. they're written for everybody, but everyone's not a professional. Um, and a lot of people don't even know they exist. Mm-hmm. And I, as a rule, I try to avoid using whistle signals with recreational boats, except for the danger signal. Right. Because more often than not, it just confuses people. I had a boat, I was on a boat for a while that had a really, really loud PA, forward mounted PA on the upper wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. And that was great because then I could just yell at people. <laughs> <laughs> um, and two, you know, a lot at a place like New York Harbor, commercial traffic, uh, if you're participating in the VTS system, you're not required to monitor 16. And we don't. Oh. Uh, you know, we're on 13, we're on whatever traffic channel uh, we're working on. And then usually if the boat has a third radio in the wheelhouse, uh, 
you know, we'll have that on our working frequency, um, again, so we can talk to our crew, um, you know, right. communicate with the tankerman. And if it's a, ta- if it's an oil barge, communicate with the tankerman on the barge or whatnot. So that's interesting because, you know, everybody believes that everybody's monitoring all boats out there are monitoring 16 so we can hail each other. And, um, Ben and I teach a VHF class. We also teach a, uh, rules of the road class, the coal regs, but, uh, we let people know too that tugs and commercial boats like like you are monitoring 13, and so they can listen to 13 to kind of be aware of commercial traffic movement in their area. But you're not even monitoring channel 16. No, sometimes. no. If we're if we're in the harbor, like in in say New York Harbor, wow, uh, anywhere or anywhere that's got a VTS system, and you're participating in the VTS system, you're not required to monitor 16 because it's a it's another. You know, I, I, like Megan had said, with the the watchstanders have, you know, however many speakers that they have to listen to, uh, mm-hmm. I suppose it gets to a point where you're going to just start missing things and it's doing more harm than good. And a lot of boats, too, um, don't have, you know, I've worked in quite a few tugboats where the upper wheelhouse that you're in a lot of the time when you're moving a barge might only have two radios. So... You have to listen to 13 in the harbor. You got to listen to the, the traffic channel. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, in generally get, with commercial traffic and inland waterways uh, in a harbor, it's best to just call them on 13. Uh, mm-hmm. They've definitely got 13 on, and they'll, they'll respond quicker on that. Okay. So I, I remember a few years ago, and Megan, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about this, but I remember a few years ago there was – seemed to be an effort by the Coast Guard to switch to Channel 9 as the hailing frequency, so it would declutter Channel 16. I I feel like I was aware of that at the time, and it kind of never got off the ground. And I wonder if you're aware of that, if you can tell us more about that. The Coast Guard going to Channel 9 Mm -hmm. isn't anything that I've heard of. Um, I've only ever seen the 16 for the International Mm -hmm. Hailing and Distress, but there, there are other working frequencies that are designated. Mm-hmm. This is something that I'm, I'm going to have to look up because I'm curious about it. But, um, well, yeah, we can move on. People still monitor 16, hail the Coast Guard on 16, hail other boats on 16, and then switch to a working channel to have their conversations. That's pretty much the standard, I think, right? Yeah. Yep. That's that's how we operate. You know, with we have our own working frequencies, um, that our boats will talk on unless there is some sort of distress that they're answering to. Um, but mm-hmm. 16, we, we always have 16 up for the, the hailing and distress. And the Coast Guard, will they'll tell you, too, mm-hmm. if you're mm-hmm. having a nice long conversation on 16 and we can't hear anything else, we'll ask you to shift your traffic to a different working frequency. Mm-hmm. Yep. I've heard that. I hear that happening. <laughs> <laughs> it happens a lot. Actually. Have you have to have you had to say that? Ask people to switch. Um, I have. Yep. Yeah. I don't talk on the radio much anymore. Um, mm-hmm. The watch standards are more of it's like a base level position, but it happens a lot. So, in terms of dis- of distress calls, uh, I'm curious about the DSC digital selective calling. Are people using this frequently, and how are they using it? Gosh, <laughs> they are. Um, I don't think it happens very frequently. We get a lot of actually Canadian DSC, mm-hmm. not calls, but, you know, we get that that distress message and the Canadian Coast Guard will answer it. We've had mm-hmm. a couple. Um, 
I'm trying to think of one that was actual distress, but normally it's because um, someone hits a button. <laughs> there was one that he had a personal um, money hit that DSC button, and it took us a couple hours to track him down. Mm-hmm. And he's like, nope, not in distress. I'm not even in my kayak. How does it work? Should I hit the distress button? We're like, right. no, because if you hit the distress button, we have to confirm <laughs> that it's you. Um, and that takes a lot more work than it sounds like just to make sure. Because even if they say, if someone says, hey, you know, I, I did this, I hit this distress button. What's another one? Someone, when I was in L.A., there was a motor vessel that hit it and no one knows how to use it very well. So all the other boats that got this DSC alert from this big, uh, tank, it was a tanker, a motor vessel kept hitting their DSC, but they kept hitting their distress alert. So their MSI oh, would no. transmit a distress. <laughs> so there must've been 30 distress calls on DSC in the course of like 10 to 15 minutes. It was awful trying to just figure out where oh this Oh, my gosh. Came it's from. like one of those mysterious buttons on the VHF that nobody's ever really figured out. It never really took off, and it, it's still just kind of there. It works. Red. Well, I can't stand you, it. It works, but don't hit it unless you're in distress. But you have to know how to use it. <laughs> if you're in distress, <laughs> use it. Yeah, springtime, uh, it's just nonstop with people putting their boats in the water and, and oh, I got to check, make sure my radio works, and... Yeah, because we get, you know, the alerts on our, our radios. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have a DSC-enabled radio, it, the alarm starts going off. And there's definitely, I'm, I'm sure Megan also sees it firsthand, the people that will keep pressing it because nothing happens on their radio. And they're like, oh, must not be working. And, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll it have... It happens in the Coast Guard. We get that. Yeah. Uh, it'll mm-hmm. just go off for half an hour. Um I'll end up, you know, turning that radio off and just not using it because it's just a distraction. Wow, that's such a shame because what if one person who pressed it really actually needed help? But I guess, you know, like you said, Megan, you're required to follow up with each one. But wow, that seems like a lot of work for um, potentially a lot of mistakes. So there's like, there's a bunch of different buttons. There's a relay. Mm -hmm. Um, If someone hits the distress button, you can relay it and that will in turn send that relay distress message mm-hmm. and the coast guard will get we'll get all of them there's a test button that if you want to test it in the spring you know the test button works really well so what about um vhf communications pet peeves i know i have some do you guys have any pet peeves um my <laughs> my biggest is when you're in a harbor and you're you're on a working channel or you know some side channel to have a conversation to discuss something is make sure you're on low power um i can't tell you how many times i've been trying to anchor down in perth amboy anchorage down all the way at one end of new york harbor and there's someone docking a barge in brooklyn and they're on high power and Mm -hmm. i can hear every little thing they're saying to their deckhand and then I, and they're, you know, drowning out the handheld that my deckhand's using. Um, and two, when people come onto a, a, a working channel and you hear someone doing something on it and they just keep talking, you know, they, they're talking about groceries or, or something silly. There's a lot of conversations that in busy places really should be had on a cell phone. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of, for some recreational boaters, there's a lot of novelty to using the radio. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's just, you know this person, call them on the phone. You know, the whole world doesn't need to know your dinner plans or, you know, how Stacy's pageant results were or whatever. <laughs> um, you know, how little Johnny's baseball game was. No one cares. Right. Uh, use your cell phone. Um, cause I do, I'll, I'll be trying to do something important, you know, we'll be landing a barge or doing something abstract, you know, to a certain extent dangerous, um, and that you need to communicate and it'll be people talking about where the fish are biting and they just, you know, you'll have been on that channel for half an hour working and someone will come on to it and just start talking about, you know, whatever, and just use a cell phone. And I'm the first one to yell it on the radio. Um, especially if it's a working channel that's probably not being recorded by anyone. I'll, uh, I'll let people know how I feel. Uh-huh. Or sometimes you hear people, it just, they're just transmitting music. They have their radio playing and the button on their VHF pressed, and that's all you hear. And it's like, why are they doing this? <laughs> What's going on? I've, I've heard some people doing some uh, rather personal things, likely on the, the dash of their, their C-Ray. Uh, because someone was up against a microphone. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so that was a good one a couple of years ago. So a long time ago, like before um, cell phones, in in Camden, Maine, they used Channel 26 from um, sunset until after midnight, and the Camden Marine operator would patch through calls like that, ship-to-shore calls, for cruising sailboats or fishermen out to sea, offshore fishermen, to the homes on the islands. And they that was what it was for, was to to kind of check in with your spouses and say, you know, what's going on at home or at school. And and people would just, it was like the evening soap opera, would just kind of sit in and listen to it. And that's, I mean, none of that's happening anymore because now people have their iridiums and whatnot. <laughs> and they can just text their wives back at home. But um there, there's a good one is before my time, but it's a story I've heard a couple guys, uh, you know, a couple older guys I've worked with that have been tugboat guys in the Northeast for a long, long time tell of it was it was probably like the night before Thanksgiving and uh, a tugboat captain was talking to his wife over the ship to shore and just to say, you know, happy Thanksgiving. Sorry, you know, not home. And she's like, well, you know, you're going to be home for Christmas, right? And he said, well... I don't know, you know, so-and-so and this and that, and basically trying to beat around the bush to say he wasn't going to be home for Christmas. Mm-hmm. And she had kind of had enough of that, and she said, well, are you going to be home for New Year's? And before he got too far in, she said, listen, I'm getting drunk on New Year's, and I'm getting laid whether you're home or not. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you know, there's probably 20 other boats listening to this, and the whole peanut gallery started chiming in but <laughs> yeah I, I some days I wish I'd been around back then for some of the stuff you would have gotten to hear yeah that really would have been fun to be sitting in the cockpit of a boat at anchor in the evening enjoying some hot cocoa and just to hear something like that going on would be entertaining better than satellite <laughs> television totally <laughs> Megan what about you do you have any pet peeves I think Ben said it really well I, I would second that um you know, the VHF is, everyone can hear you, but it's just, it's make it quick, say what you have to say. Mm-hmm. Um, a large part of our listeners of the Morning Mustard podcast are recreational sailors and cruisers. And so, well, 
I guess this is your, this is your chance. What do you want to tell them about VHF communication? What is the most important thing that you'd want them to know? Um, I mean, incidentally, Ben and I also teach a VHF communication webinar, and we have in-person seminars on it. So I'm going to be taking notes, but <laughs> um, I want to hear from from you guys. Like, what what do you want recreational sailors to know? I think it's important to be comfortable using the radio. Um, we've had a couple of situations where a spouse isn't isn't as comfortable with driving the vessel or just talking on the radio, any of the, the functionality of it. Um, and it's important to, one, know your boat. Even if it's not your boat, know how to use the radio, know how to drive it. Um, but know how to use the radio, be comfortable, even if it's just to get a couple things out, you know, if you need help or if your your spouse or um, whoever you're on the boat with is is maybe working on the boat to fix it if you're disabled or something know how to use the radio and then also um if you think you're in trouble call the coast guard because we're we're listening we'll do what we can to help you or get you in touch with someone that can um i guess i i have two things um one is uh when it comes to calling you know if you're if you're on if you're in a harbor and you're unsure of what a tugboat or a ship is doing just saying you know uh, ship off my port bow. <laughs> it, mm-hmm. No, they, they're not going to know who you are, who you're calling. You know, one thing I stress to mates that I'm training is learn about other vessel types other than your own. Know about what other people are doing in the harbor or in the area, you know, the region you work in. Um, I mean, I'm a bit of a, a tugboat nerd, so I go way overboard as far as knowing everyone else's vessels and what they do, but having that kind of information, you know, if, if you, for some reason, you, you know, say you don't have an AIS cause you're on a recreational vessel. So you can't just look at them on a screen and say, Oh, that's, you know, the Evelyn Cutler and, or the, the Charles James and, and call them by name. But you know, you, if you say black hauled and tan, superstructure tugboat Mm -hmm. with a barge alongside in the vicinity of you know the the two buoy you know west passage narragansett bay this is the sailboat on your port bow Mm -hmm. it's i mean some people want to fight the urge to to have you know say too much but in that case to get the to get the right vessel you need to be descriptive and you need to relay your location relative to them not relative to you right mm-hmm. because that you know they're gonna in turn they're gonna be looking around and that lets them know where to look and especially if you say this is the white hauled sailboat with blue trim or you know or the mm-hmm. the gray trawler with and at that point you could say off your port quarter or something like that yeah because then they could look and see you there yeah they know right where to look and it it saves a lot of time. And especially if you're in a confined waterway, that time it can be very valuable because, you know, we, we can't necessarily, a larger vessel can't necessarily stop quickly and it might not be able to stop at all. Um, you know, there's situations, areas where I have to keep going. Um, you know, sections of the East River, I, you know, I'll slow down. I'll do as much as I can to stop or tread water. But say I've got a 500 foot, 100,000 plus barrel loaded petroleum barge i'm not running that aground to not run you over (laughs) you know um 
so the time the communicate you know cutting down the time to figure out who's who you're talking to is is important is it helpful when recreational boats contact you or is it or is it annoying because there's kind of this this um uh vibe i guess when i talk to other recreational sailors and they're like oh we just got to stay out of the way of those tugboats and commercial boats and and they don't want to contact you is it helpful for them to contact you it can be um and that's the kind of judgment that only comes with experience Mm um you know there's a lot of times where people are in a recreational boat and they're in a deep water channel and they don't need to be there you know they draw five feet or they draw six feet eight feet whatever and outside of said channel there's 20 feet of water for miles around Mm -hmm. but they're dead smack in the middle of the deep water channel well jokingly you know other if we're talking to letting another vessel know that hey we're maneuvering around you know this sailboat or this trawler or whatever We'll jokingly call them a deep draft recreational, um, <laughs> you know, because they're constrained by draft to the channel, obviously. But if it's in a confined area and you're, you know, uh, around a pier or a dock or something, yeah, give us a call. But if it's one of those situations where you're in a wide open area um, and you can easily avoid us and, you know, we might be constrained to the channel because of our draft for the mm-hmm. most part. Yeah, then that's a situation where it's best to just say, oh, I can take 30 seconds and go around their stern. And Yeah, some, I'm definitely taking notes. Some of this we cover in our Rules of the Road course. And um, I think that, you know, we all share the waterways. They're for everybody. But you're right. If there's, we have, there's limitations. Like you said, you have a deep draft. Recreational boats often do not. Yeah, I think, I think some people don't realize, you know, you see a tug and a barge, especially some of the, uh, the articulated tug and barge units, the pin boats, like, like what Ben had worked on at one point, mm-hmm. you know, with a loaded barge, they might draw 31, 32 feet, mm-hmm. you know, they're going to draw north of 15, you know, 25 foot's not an uncommon draft. And, uh, they have to be, you might think like, Oh, this is this big Harbor and there's, there's water everywhere, but for them there isn't. Right. And with ships, it gets even worse. You know, the, I've been, on the project in Boston, phase two of the deepening for Boston Harbor was three years of digging to get the drafts down deep enough for, you know, the larger container ships. And they're drawing 45 plus feet. Mm-hmm. And they're 1,100 feet long. So they're very, very maneuverable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stop on a dime. Yeah. So it's just, it's, it's, it comes with experience, but people can, can, you know, forearm themselves a lot better by, don't just hop on the boat and go like take a look at the chart of the area you're going to transit through, you know, and just familiar, familiarize yourself with where there's water. Um, And it's where I think a lot of the modern electronic charting programs are so useful. A lot of them are, you can edit the depth contours, you know, as far as color display. That's part of why I like, I use, we use Rose point on uh, most of the tugboats I work on. And that's the first thing I do in the vector charts is I edit the depth contours. So, Mm -hmm. I don't. I then don't even have the depths displayed on the chart for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I just have the depth contours, and I know white is safe, light blue is meh, dark blue is don't go there, mm-hmm. and it just makes your life a lot easier. It takes a lot of the guesswork out of it. Um, one of the things that we like to do, we kind of, 
in Maine, we get a lot of fog here, and we hope we kind of like having the fog, especially during our sail training programs, because it gives us a chance to practice talking on the radio. Because it's not very often that we actually need to talk on the radio, um, but in the fog, we do uh, security calls every five minutes or so, or depending on where we're at, I guess, um, to essentially announce our position in the fog and their direction of travel, so that other boats in the area that we might encounter that we can't see at all because it can be very thick up here. Mm-hmm. They, they're they aware that we're there. But we also practice these. You know, we ha- we hold the microphone up to our mouth and we sit, speak the what we're going to say so we can be succinct and well-practiced without pressing the button. You know, and then we press the button and do it for real. Um, and uh, is there any other uh, ideas like that or kind of drills or ways people can practice using the VHF without um, gumming up the airways? I try to incorporate VHFs into a lot of our uh, our emergency drills, and a lot of that is to help you know maybe the younger deckhand learn how to use the radio uh, a little more comfortably, because we'll be having a fire drill and I'll be in the wheelhouse and someone will be have the radio on deck to communicate with me while while I'm quote unquote you know communicating with the office and the coast guard, and it's. You know, using incorporating them into drills can be good. Um, you know, mm-hmm. you find a, a an open working channel, and this is a, this is a good idea too. We do we do man overboard drills, abandoned ship drills, and um, I don't think we've incorporated the VHF into our man overboard drills, but that's a good that's a really good idea. Yeah, I mean, if you have a man overboard drill and say you use have a person in the dinghy and they're the man overboard, you know, or the spaghetti pot, we use the spaghetti pot. <laughs> yeah, you know, then. Um, that person can can talk to you from the dinghy, and it's a good way to practice, you know, communicating your position to someone else, you know, mm-hmm. um, which is important. Just make sure you say this is a drill <laughs> before you say someone's overboard. Yes. Yes. <laughs> or not actually press the button, not actually broadcast it. Uh, Megan, do you have any suggestions, any drills that you all work on or that boaters uh, um, should we, be working on? So our boats do drills like that all the time, um, and they do use the VHF because they talk to their station when they're underway. Um, they just they say the words, this is a drill, before mm-hmm. and after each communication. So they'll press a button, this is a drill, say what they need to say, mm-hmm. and end it with this is a drill. Okay. Well, I think we're going to wrap up soon. I was there. Is there anything that you guys wanted to talk about that we didn't get to before we wrap up? I don't really have anything for VHF. I would like to just for like the Coast Guard safety, make sure you're, everyone you know is wearing their P, PFDs, life jackets when they're underway, but certainly not VHF related. <laughs> that's not. It's not VHF, right. but that's something we run into all the time. Just wear those. Wear those life jackets. Yeah, get one you like, a comfortable one with the the color you like. Like, go pick it out, spend the extra Hopefully money. Hopefully a bright color. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like I could sleep in my PFD. I wear it so much. That's awesome. <laughs> um, but it's been really great talking with you both. It's been a great conversation. I really appreciate it. Um, it is time to wrap up. And so I guess maybe we'll catch you out there on Channel 1-6 or 1-3. Uh, This is Tracy Carey with The Morning Muster, out. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to The Morning Muster wherever you get your podcasts or visit morsealpha.com. You can also find us on Instagram at morsealphaexpeditions. 
The music is by Tim Erickson, my brother, and you can find him at timericksonmusic.com. Until next time, stay found. Coming.